Hi, as always, it's Darren from HackerJob. This week, I am joined by Ben Ventum, UK IT Talent Acquisition Manager at AstraZeneca. How are you doing, Ben? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No worries at all. So I think the question that I always ask at the start is get our guests to introduce themselves. I'm sure that some people listening would have come across you before, but there'll be, I'm sure, a lot of people that haven't met you in, in, in any way. So can you give us a little bit about your background and how you got into the role you are in now? Yeah, okay. So yeah, I I head up the UK IT talent acquisition team here at AstraZeneca. A little bit about me, I have spent pretty much my whole career from uni in IT recruitment. So majority of that being about eight, nine years within agency recruitment. And I think a lot of people I speak to in agency recruitment, I fell into recruitment. It wasn't a career of choice at the time. I did a sport degree and was weighing up my options and you know, money was a, a thing that most graduates or even students don't really have a lot of. And the appeal of earning lots of money in recruitment kind of came to me. And, you know, I started my first job in uh, in London three days after my last exam. So there was no kind of downtime or going uh, overseas to enjoy myself. It was straight into it, and but loved it. And I, I didn't know much about IT. Uh, so it was kind of learning on the job and it was quite intense. Obviously, London in the big smoke is, uh, is very different to... Um, countryside of Cambridgeshire but it was, it was a great learning for me and I kind of took that back to Cambridgeshire and developed a really good career uh, in recruitment and moved up into kind of management roles before I, I took the the leap into internal and I mean I couldn't have picked a better business than AstraZeneca to do that and it's been an amazing journey I've been here probably 18 months now and it's been a huge learning curve but so valuable and so beneficial as well I think for me working for a company that are doing so much for the world and obviously we'll probably come on to that in a bit but it's been amazing and I love working within technology because if you all use technology whether we want to or not it's it's there and it's taking over every day there's more and more things coming out that just mean that technology is is part of our lives just like brushing our teeth every day. And were you like me, where when you fell into recruitment, you were sold on the fact that you could earn 100k in your first year in recruitment? The old analogy where it's like, I definitely didn't earn that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That was the first thing I, was, I think, don't think it was called a recruitment job. It was, do you want to earn lots of money? And I, <laughs> clickbait, yeah, I'll, I'll click on that. <laughs> no, exactly. And uh, you soon realize that oh, there's a lot more work that goes into this before you become a millionaire. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a millionaire, not yet. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we'll we'll both say, yeah, because it will happen, it will happen. So I think most people have heard about AstraZeneca, especially at the moment. But for those that haven't, can you explain what the organisation does? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was going to say, unless you've been living under a rock for the last year. You think um, think most people know who AstraZeneca are, but... Exactly, yeah. Most probably know us about, you know, relation to the coronavirus vaccine and our partnership with Oxford University, but... Yeah, as a, as a quick overview, AstraZeneca is a global science-led biopharmaceutical company headquartered in Cambridge, UK. We employ well over 80,000 people worldwide now, so we're a very big organisation. And I think within the pandemic, we actually tipped over at one point, still are, but to be top of the FTSE 100. So that just kind of shows the size that we are. Um, and I guess in terms of our three primary therapeutic areas we cover oncology cancer treatment and research cvrm which is cardiovascular renal and metabolism so things like heart failure arterial vascular disease and the last key area is respiratory and immunology 
so things like asthma. As an asthma sufferer, it's quite interesting to know that the business are working on cures and, and treatment things. Yeah. And our medicines are, are used by millions of patients all over the globe. So we, we truly do impact the world. And from a UK perspective, more recently, we're actually voted the 13th best place to work by Glassdoor. So we're, we're yeah. very happy about that. Amazing. Yeah, I can see the smile on your face as you said <laughs> that one. That's, uh, that's one that you always want to tick up on a podcast and say where you are. And then from a tech perspective, can you talk to us about the work that you're doing on that side and the teams you're building? Yeah, definitely. I guess if you'd go back 10 years and look at AstraZeneca, and probably more broadly the entire pharmaceutical sector, and compare the use of technology then to now, it's, it's pretty staggering how integral technology is to how we you know, function as businesses, but also how we create medicines. So it's an honor for me to be able to be at the forefront of bringing tech talent into the business. You kind of really get to see how much of an impact they have on the business and industry. But technology uh, for us is probably used right across the business, You know, from your more traditional IT and user services teams, these are the teams that kind of support with the technology we use day to day. So things like laptops and phones and yep. you know, jumping on virtual technology tools. And I guess without these teams, couldn't really do what we do and business couldn't function. And then you've got right through to the more specialist technology, which is probably centered around things like data science and data engineering practices. And they work closely with our scientists, our R&D teams to fast track drug production. So I guess as an example, we have a specific data science team focused on knowledge graphs. And most people won't know what knowledge graphs are, but they kind of represent a collection of interlinked objects, events, bits of data. And they put data in context via linking things together. And they can then kind of build that into a framework for data integration, analytics, sharing, so I guess in, in layman's terms, they build these super complex, clever algorithms to show, kind of identify and predict relationships between cells. So ultimately, we, you know, a scientist can go, well, I've got this cell I need to investigate. And because of these knowledge graphs, they'll have all these linkages that actually this cell or molecule or this particular disease can be related to all these different things. So actually, when we're looking at building a new a vaccine or a, a new medicine, They've got all this data and all this linked data that can help us essentially make drugs quicker so we can get them out to patients quicker. So it's that side of technology that's, that's truly amazing. And I guess most, well, some people would have heard about the first pharma company last year. It's a Japanese pharmaceutical firm, and they created the first medicine purely based on an AI algorithm. So basically, the molecule was created by algorithms that sifted through potential compounds and probably used something around the knowledge graph system which checked them against a huge database of parameters and then came out with this, this is what we need to do, this is how you create this medicine. And I really see technology kind of pushing us more that way that 20, 30 years, a lot of medicines are really a case of plugging a few things this end and AI will tell us this is what the drug needs to be like. So it's, it's crazy, it's mind-boggling when you get into it. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a techie, but you get you know, exposed to the tech that we do here and it really is just mind-boggling what some of the some of the guys are doing yeah it's, it's mental one isn't it and i speak to a lot of clients across the uk and we'll talk about the struggles in in hiring data scientists and what i always say is 
well, most data scientists either live in London or Cambridge. Like that's where <laughs> the big part of data science is. Yeah. And Cambridge is commutable to London. So it means that we we kind of captured that hub in, in a very small area. So if you're in, I don't know, Telford or you're in Newcastle, there's no re there's a reason why you struggle with data science because that's not where they are. Like they are working on some of the stuff that AstraZeneca are working on, which is incredible. And I hadn't heard about that AI medicine until just now. So uh, uh, okay. I'm literally going to be looking into this. I found a, a, a BBC article, so I'll be looking at that later. But from a, a tech stack perspective, what tech do you use internally at the moment? I'm sure it's, a, I'm sure it's a, a big amount of technologies there, but is there any particular ones that the focus is on? Yeah, I guess probably more broadly speaking, it's probably worth giving an overview of what our technology function um, looks like and how it's kind of split. And we've got well over 4,000, probably over 5,000 if you count in contractors as well worldwide, in, just in IT. And without going to too much detail, you could say that IT or tech, however, yeah, there's the two interchangeable words. I use them all the time. I can't pick. But it's essentially split into two. You've got the customer-facing tech, and these are teams that are working with the scientists and RED teams and even like some of the enabling units teams, so things like HR, and you know, we've got a lot of IT personnel working on systems for us and even new kind of artificial systems. And then you've also got the the more business-facing IT, which is, as I talked about, you know, the stuff that is integral to us running as a business, so end-user services, you know, cybersecurity that kind of, you don't see them, they just, they're behind the scenes protecting us from everything. And by the sounds of it, they've, they've got a really tough job at the moment. As tech gets more advanced, they're needed more and more, but they're the young sung heroes. You don't really hear about them. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I guess across all of these areas, we'll recruit right across the full IT spectrum. So anything from you know, developers and data science, data engineering, which are huge areas for us, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And even within these, you know, the data science space, it's it split down further into things like NLP, which is natural language processing, deep learning, machine learning, AI. So then probably some more of the traditional business analysts, project program managers, architecture, you know, cybersecurity. So there really is a, such a huge breadth of roles that we recruit right across the globe. Yeah. And uh, AI is probably my favorite area to talk to people about because AI fascinates me because everyone thinks what we're talking about there is computers that are, uh, are like walking, talking. It's like, that's not really what AI is. That's not what ro- robotics is either. So it's always good when I chat to someone and they're like, I actually know what I'm talking about from an AI side because it's such an interesting area. Everyone thinks the Terminator rather than... Like, <laughs> yeah what can you do so something we wanted to talk about today is the fact that astrazeneca have a women in in tech series uh, which is something that i believe you set up yourself so i'd love for you to tell us about the series and some of your motivations when you were setting it up yeah great well i guess firstly the, the, the great thing about astrazeneca or one of the great things about astrazeneca is that everyone's encouraged and inspired to, to come to the table with ideas to make the world a better place really and AstraZeneca a better place and I guess what I mean by that is that the idea creation and new concepts aren't reserved solely for the elite or most senior leaders so you know we're encouraged to be a part of that and there's a culture of lifelong learning and we kind of live and breathe by the core values of the business um, and, and IND and inclusion diversity is a big topic for us especially over the last few years and I think for most businesses particularly the last year with all the high-profile events that took place that really kind of escalated and pushed issues to the forefront, and they need to stay there so that we can make that change. But yeah, so why did I set up the AstraZeneca Women in Tech series? Well, I guess IND for me as a whole is something I feel passionate about, and the Women in Tech initiative is 
I guess just one small part of the puzzle for want of a better phrase but it's something I I'm fortunate to be heavily involved in anyway as a day job recruiting people um, into the business and as a business area IT we have some pretty stretching goals when it comes to gender diversity hiring so we've done plenty of work around how we can increase more women coming into tech it really came down to me sitting in my, my study one day uh, in lockdown, you know, thinking, what more can I do to to make an impact? And not just for AstraZeneca's benefit, but actually for the tech industry as a whole and you know, and generations to come. And I want to do what I can to make positive strides going forward. So you know, by trying to put myself in, in the shoes of a young female, which is obviously very hard to do because uh, I'm not young and I'm not female. And by speaking to other women in tech and doing research discovered that a huge influence for attraction of, of women in tech is actually other women in tech as role models yep. so and i'd argue that most of us have role models you look up to whether it's you know for inspiration and sport personal lives yep. so i put together an internal campaign to drive up interest among our female tech population to see who would be interested in participating and and honestly, I wasn't expecting much interest. I thought this is going to be a, I'm going to be pushing something and really it's going to be hard work. But I was absolutely staggered by how many women actually wanted to, to get involved and to the point where I couldn't cope with the demand. So there's, there's so many women just waiting in the, in the background. Yeah. But yeah, I guess long story short, we, you know, several months later, we've, we've got a fantastic series up and running. Uh, we're now onto our eighth episode, you know, having featured employees from all over the globe, different areas of tech, different seniority levels i guess really doing what we can to demonstrate the diversity of women that we have with the ultimate aim is to use them to inspire and empower more women to take up a tech career ideally with us that's that's great but actually what's most important is is the longer term impact it's about us doing our bit now to inspire more girls and women going through education that technology isn't a male dominated arena anymore and kind of to demystify some of the beliefs that IT roles are kind of really technical in nature because they, because they really aren't and that there are equal opportunities for all. And we've had some amazing feedback um, and engagement since its inception and really grateful for all the positive feedback. And, but I guess you know, my, my thing I want, want to say is that I'm just a facilitator in all of this. And it's, it's the, actually the, the, the amazing women that come on the series that are making the real change and difference and for me it's actually just an honor just to be able to be interviewing them because i i'm inspired but what will they do as well i think you're not giving yourself enough credit there because i think that someone <laughs> has to be the facilitator at some point it, like someone has to take the stance in order for there to be made a difference so whether you are the person that is doing the podcast or what like you are still the one that's driving the, this kind of message forward and i want to obviously plug it as well so how can people find this podcast or this series if they uh, if they want to after listening to this the easiest thing to do is if they can go on YouTube and look up the AstraZeneca Women in Tech series, that should come up. It hopefully will be linked to our corporate YouTube account soon, working in the background on that. Or they can connect with me on LinkedIn and I, I post a new video, a new episode, probably every two to three weeks. So there is one coming up next week, which is actually from one of our senior leaders. So that's great. And I've got lots more coming. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. And I'm passionate about women in tech as well, because we were talking before, but I've got a young niece and I was looking at the stats um, last week because there was, uh, it was International Women in Science Day, I think last Tuesday. Yes. Um, And I think one of the, the stats that shocked me the most was, I always talk to clients about how STEM 
hopefully will start making a difference in, the, in a few years' time, uh, females going through STEM courses. But still, there's only 19% of, of computer science graduates are female. So it's not just that then there's not a lot of females at the, the top end. It's that they're not even coming through STEM at the moment. So is there anything that you think the organisations can be doing a little bit more at the moment in order to make that difference? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there's so much companies can do so much more that we can do it's a far bigger issue than i guess just targeting more women in your job searches fundamentally it's about creating the right environment and culture internally ensuring that you know there is equal opportunity ensuring you know hiring processes reflect diversity and are inclusive i guess it's all well and good companies hr department putting in place these measures but it has to be ingrained throughout the business and that in my opinion kind of is set by the company values and whilst you might be able to recruit more women into the business by making some small changes, companies also need to work hard on retaining them. And I read a report on Forbes recently that claimed once women enter the tech field, they leave at a rate of, I think it's nearly 50% higher than men with reasons around lack of career growth, poor management and slow salary growth. So that just demonstrates that there's far more work to do than just creating a kind of a nice inclusive picture on the outside. And when you get deeper into the reality of creating more opportunity for women in tech, you you need to look at all the detail. It's all well and good just hiring more females, but it's ensuring that there's balance across the senior leadership team. So women have role models to look up to and know that they have got a path upwards. And we're we're very fortunate to have a great balance of senior IT leaders and and, you know, a female chief digital officer and CIO. So that's definitely helping us in our missions and goals. Yeah. And I think there's also still a misperception that roles, and I mentioned it earlier, that IT are, you know, they're very you know, super technical. Yeah. And again, there's another a Tech City report that found 45% of women saying that they lack skills in technology. And part of what I've been trying to do through our Women in Tech series is bring about the awareness that so many of our amazing women in tech have come into their careers and into tech at all different stages of life and some from a tech background yes but actually so many that haven't so I think education plays a key part at all levels particularly at an early talent stage to give more women confidence and awareness of what opportunities lie within technology and that probably actually leads me on to a uh, nicely on to highlight that I'm actually in the early stages of putting together a I hope it's a huge early talent tech event later on in the year. I'm, I'm certainly going with that inkling, but really to kind of build upon the great start we've been doing across the Women in Tech series, but really take it to the next level. And I really believe that to solve these issues, that the 19% of, of women within tech, and to get that much higher and to have it more diverse and more equal, we need to tackle the, the early talent. So I've got some amazing speakers in the pipeline, some that have agreed, which would be amazing. So there'll certainly be more to come from me in the next few months around that. And I think we've, we've spoken, Darren, about partnering on that because I think that's something that we need as many people as possible helping and driving forward to get real change. And I know I digressed there a bit um, and plugging my own event, but um, no, I, no, I, I, get, I was going to say, I guess my, my, my top tips probably, and again, I, I, I don't class myself an expert, we've all got learning to do in this we've all have different experiences within ind and within our businesses but i think fundamentally businesses have got to you know, assess their structure the culture the awareness processes so that they can create an equal platform for hiring female talent yeah if that's not right then there are going to be issues down the down the road 
ensure there's gender parity at senior leadership level so that women can see the tangible roots of progression and they have role models. An easy one, celebrate your women in, in tech. You know, they, they are the role models for more women. Um, and I think we should be celebrating them more, you know, help inspire a new generation. And one probably really easy thing to do is I recommend using a tool called Textio. We use it all the time and coming into AstraZeneca is the first time I used it and I was shocked at how good this tool is. And, and briefly, it's an augmented writing platform that essentially is like a writing coach for you when you're building an advert or even when you're putting together emails and, and it picks up on instances of gender bias or age bias so that you can use this to ensure your adverts that are going out are gender neutral, that they are targeted to a, a diverse you know, population. And you'd be surprised that their research shows that 90% of employees actually lean more to a masculine side of writing, which is understandable given that it's been a very male-dominated industry but these are just the small tweaks that we can make to encourage more females to go in and the initial gut thing for me was well in that case we'll just make them all look very feminine but actually that that does the opposite to bringing women or getting women to apply it needs to be a balance you can't just then go fully feminine in in terms of your writing style because I think their research shows that actually you get more men applying which is strange but you just need that balance and it's all about making sure that you're you're creating equal opportunity in everything you do. And just by a small thing of writing an advert makes a huge difference. My top tip, uh, and it's an obvious tip, is that I think companies need to bear in mind a little bit more that women have a different biology, let's say, than the males. So at some point, if you want to build a family, the, the female is going to take a, a route towards that. And I think what companies do really poorly at the moment is when they've have their family and they want to go back to work it's very hard to go back to work unless you go back to work full-time there's not many opportunities where you can work part-time and still be an engineer i think that there's maybe two companies we work with that do it well and that's two one to two percent of our client base so it's not it's not a lot like companies just don't do it and it means that as an engineer i look at it and go okay well i could go do this or i could just change my career which is more flexible so until companies start doing a little bit more flexible working and flexibility around the needs of a family. It becomes very, very tough for a female to be an engineer. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess another point I, I really want to stress and make clear is that I guess when it comes down to you know, IND and women in tech, every person has the ability to inflict change regardless of their background or the seniority. And that can be positive change, but it also can be negative. You know, we've all got the ability to do that and you know, yeah. you can make someone feel great about themselves or you could make someone feel really bad about themselves and I guess if if people want to see change then you know they all have the ability to do that and make meaningful action and in my opinion if you feel strongly about something then you should do what you can and, and play your part and I was always taught that at a young age that actions speak louder than words and which is why I'm I'm perhaps naturally quite a reserved and shy character normally. And I much prefer to listen and be the most vocal and let my actions demonstrate my ability. But I also believe that people with seniority leadership, they're the key people here in, in inflicting change. And particularly with, when we look at women in tech and that 19% figure, people in powerful positions have the ability to inflict change far easier and with more impact than those without. Yep. And if you, you know, if you look at them as a, you look at it from a, fee, a famous person perspective. You know, I can give you a great example of this, of you know, a famous person inflicting change. If you take um, Elon Musk, for example, CEO and founder of Tesla and SpaceX, yep. he recently changed his Twitter status to Bitcoin 
And within several hours, the price of Bitcoin rocketed up 20%, which was a huge. And that just shows you the power that big influence have on people. And I feel, you know, when you are a leader, you have a responsibility to lead by example and, and help make that change, which is why I feel, you know, it's my duty as, as much as it's my passion to play my part in, in making positive change. Yeah. And if you had more people of seniority taking action, that change in adoption should in theory happen a lot quicker. Yeah. And um, I guess, yeah, just lastly on that point, probably more personal note, you know, I've, I've got a young daughter um, who's six years old and, yeah, I feel responsible doing my bit to ensure that she has every opportunity and an equal opportunity to do whatever she wants growing up. So that's why it's a, it's a personal thing as much as it is a, a business thing and also a, a doing the right thing for the world type thing. And I liked a lot of the things you've talked about there about getting women to the forefront of what you're doing. Um, I think that historically, I've always been able to name a lot of male leaders um, in companies and I've always struggled to do it in females because there's a Forbes report I saw go out a couple of weeks ago where it said that 5% of leaders at CEO level in FTSE 500 or FTSE 100 were female and it's like okay well then you can see what the problem is that you can name off the the, the Mark Zuckerbergs you name off the Bill Gates but who are you naming off on the female side and therefore who am I aspiring to be where is that that ceiling because I don't know if I believe that there is a glass ceiling. I think that there is a perceived glass ceiling. So women don't feel empowered to go in and smash through it. And that's why we don't see a lot of women at the top. I don't think it's that they can't get there. I think it's that they're not inspired to get there enough at the time. Yeah. No, I I agree. And I am. And that's why we need strong female characters to, to make those steps and then encourage more women to think, actually, I can do that as well. And that's part of the reason I'm putting on that event later on the year, because I've had the pleasure and privilege of being uh, speaking to some amazing senior leaders across the globe from some, some of the best businesses in the world. And they've got a great story to tell. And by them telling the story and inspiring a new generation, you know, we should, you know, in theory, in five, 10 years time, we should be seeing this, this percentage. And even now, I, I hope that the percentage is going up, but we, we should be making much more impact. But yeah, you're, you're completely right. Yeah, and I, I think you can see that it is going up, but it's not going up at the rate that I think a lot of us would like. I think that going up 1% in five years doesn't really make a difference. Like, it needs to go up a lot quicker than that. Yeah, um, I agree. So we end, we end up covering a lot. I had points in my head that I wanted to cover, but we've ended up covering them sporadically as we've gone along, which has been really, really enjoyable. So I guess the, the final question I've got to you is, what do you think the future of hiring looks like? If you had to put your mystic meg ball in front of you and what, what do you think will, will happen in the next few years the million dollar question <laughs> um okay i oh this is a tough one there's no doubt that i think technology will play its part and continue and to evolve how we i guess the recruitment landscape functions we've already started piloting several bits of ai uh, technology and functionality across many aspects of our platforms which is brilliant. It's really exciting to be part of trialing that. Sometimes it's scary because you think, hang on, I used to do that part of the job. <laughs> what do you want me to do now? But I, I think and I think virtual interviewing will certainly become the norm, even post-pandemic. I think as the, you know, the years go on, remote working will become a much bigger thing. And that's, uh, we've been kind of thrust into that and almost forced, this is it but we've made it work. So I think people realize that actually I've got a bit of a work-life balance now, but I must admit, I, I'm desperate to go and meet people again and uh, integrate with my team. And I think that's where you can see 
I feel that ideas and just building those relationships are much better doing that. But I suppose that, you know, I used to think technology and, and AI, the AI bots would completely take over. And I've seen through trialing and, um, and even rolling out projects myself um, around AI functionality that it's got a long way to go. It's not like a Tesla car that can drive itself yet. There's still a long way. And I think because recruitment requires so much human interaction and it is about humans, it's the in, you know, interpersonal skills, AI isn't there. Will it ever get there? Mm, I'm, I, that's out for question. Yeah. Maybe one day. But I still feel that us as the humans, I think we've got the edge over them for a little bit longer. But I, I see technology just becoming integral to everything we do in recruitment. And there will be new technology coming out i'm sure that will help us do things and probably reduce the percentage of people actually in recruitment roles but it's exciting and it's good and and i'm all for technology that that adds value and ensures that you know for example diversity in terms of recruitment strategies are there that's that's great just as long as it doesn't do me out of a job (laughs) i think what you said is how i view it as well i think that ai is a tool it's not the it's not the be all and end all because i think that AI can do as much harm as it can do good because I've seen systems and talked to clients where they've tried to use AI as, as a means to feedback to candidates. And what's happened is that candidates have had a really bad candidate experience because they found out 20 minutes after an interview that they're unsuccessful without actually finding out why they're unsuccessful, which means that as a candidate, I don't know what I need to do differently next time. So I don't think AI will do you out of a role. I, I, I think I can... <laughs> Uh, at least at least in in our lifetimes maybe when we're talking about my young niece and your your daughter that we uh might need to rethink but uh, i think we're fine for a while but i think the companies need to use ai as a tool because there is a lot of good that it can do so we've got to the end of the pod obviously i want to thank you for appearing and you mentioned that the audience can find you on linkedin i want to give you one more chance to plug anything that you've got going on at the moment that you want to you want to plug so i think that a lot of the listeners are going to be interested in um, in a lot of things going on. So is there anything else you're, you've got going on at the moment that you want to talk about? Nothing that I've not already said. And please yeah, feel free to connect with me and have a look at the AstraZeneca Women in Tech series. You can either YouTube or, or, or look at my profile. And I, as, I, as I said, I post them every two, three weeks and share with anyone you think that's, you know, that would benefit from it. And, and if you, if anybody wants to do any collaborations, yeah, this isn't about, you know, AstraZeneca keeping this to themselves. It's about, I want to collaborate with loads of people. And hence why we were collaborating with, with HackerJob because we just want the message to get out there. We want to have more impact on women that are thinking about getting to tech and thinking that actually I, I know more about tech now. And actually there are some great women working in tech and, and really the, the, the early talent piece, which, you know, comes on to the event that i'm doing later on the year but um but uh but i'm really grateful uh to you darren and, uh, and the hacker job team for, for for giving me this platform to talk about it as well and this is my first podcast so it's uh, it's been great amazing no no it's been a pleasure and I, i'm i'm looking forward to that collaboration later in the year like we'll make sure that as the year goes on uh we'll plug it and we'll make sure that everyone knows about it going forward um, great stuff so thank you very much for all the listeners and thanks for ben thank you everyone